Are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. All right, Kai Hurst, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm, uh, mate, uh, surviving day by day and uh, living it as we breathe it. And, uh, mate, it's been, been a funky old year, hey, for all of us. Yeah, it has been crazy. Um, it's been a long time for us. It's been too long, um, yeah. many years. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I had to sit here and do a bunch of research on you because I haven't had any real contact with you for the past 10, 15 years, and you've been doing some phenomenal stuff. Uh, for those that don't know you, I mean, you're, you're pretty well known in Australia, but I have a pretty, pretty big audience in America. And for those that don't know you, I would consider you an athlete. You know, it's, it's hard to kind of categorize you in, in one um, category. You know, you've, you've swum, well, you started off as a professional Ironman, right? At mm-hmm. the age of 15. And then you, you swam in the pool, you've swum open water, made a couple of Olympic games. And now, you know, you're competing um, as a sailor. So, I mean, I would consider you an athlete. And we're going to kind of get into all the aspects of, of what you've done, but um, in, in terms of uh, just being an athlete, what does that mean to you? Healthy, fit. Um, I guess it's a lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I choose to, to be this way. It's, it's funny. You know, there's, there's lots of moments in our career that, you know, I, I kind of stop and I'm going, I'm done. That's it. Uh, I'm going to retire and, um, and then just get back, get into normal, a normal way of life. But, um, you know, I, I try to do that. And then I'm like, it, it feels so unnormal, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like it's the right fit for me outside of sport in general. And you know, I guess I've always, and, you know, you're the same. We've grown up with goals and aspirations to aspire to be better than what we are. And, um and, and we're always, ch- I always feel like I'm always chasing the next thing. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the short-term goals and the long-term goals is just so important, no matter what facet of life you're in, mm-hmm. be it business or be it sport. Um, you know, I, I think to be able to create that, that world that we live in um, and have those uh, goals to aspire to is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely, mate, uh, for sure. And I, and, and I think that's really what it comes down to is just um, having, having goals. And, and like you said, you can, you can utilize that in any aspect of life. I'm actually going to do a talk tomorrow with a, with a sales team, you know, in terms of goal yeah. setting, you know, and goal setting yeah. can be, can be applied anywhere. So um, that's a cool thing. But in terms of you and I, just in terms of our personal stories, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I've been in America for the past 15 years, so I kind of forget things sometimes. I don't know if you remember, but when did we kind of have interaction as, as younger guys? When did we first meet each other? Do you know? I think it might've been on, on particular camps that we were on with the Australian team. Yeah. Um, whether they're state camps or national camps, um, swimming. And so you're always part of the sprint program (laughs) and I was always part of the middle distance, distance program. So, um, you know, you know, I grew up with the likes of yourself and then, you know, Glenn House, when I came into that era, Mm -hmm. Kieran Perkins and, Mm -hmm. um, and Daniel Kowalski. And then that transition with, uh, you know, Ian Thorpe and then Grant Hackett. Um, So I think that was about at that point when, 
we were sort of 14, 15, 16, you started to sort of shy away from um, competing and, and started to take a different direction. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think there were there might have been you know particular camps we had here in Queensland at, or at the AIS in Canberra. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was certainly through the the swimming channels that um, you know I I've always swum and you know Grant I grew up with with Grant Hackett so yeah. you know the two of us you know through the age brackets were were sort of um, we would always race each other and then the same with the surf you know Hacky did surf life saving as well. And he was a great, great competitor in the ocean. Um, I, I ended up, you know, taking the direction where I chased the surf stuff for that period of time. And, and Hacky went and stuck with the pools for me. So, yeah. um, you know, that, that was back in the mid nineties, late nineties, I guess. Yeah. Where yeah. did it start for you? Did it start in the ocean or did it start in the pool for you? Um, well, mum was a swim teacher uh so she i guess she taught me how to surf but uh swim um i started surfing when i was two so uh i mean you know my family have always been involved with either surfing or surf life saving in some way you know i guess everyone in my family know how to swim um it was just water yeah Uh, i you know it was like a a duck duck in water and uh I, i just had such a draw to to the ocean Mm-hmm. It was such a pull there for me. Um, you know, I just I could never find myself out of it. Um, and the pool swimming, you know, I, I, it was a huge passion of mine. But I just I always seemed to have found myself back in the ocean, doing mm-hmm. you know whether it was surfing or, or Ironman racing. So for all your um, avid listeners out there uh, that are US based, uh, Ironman here in Australia is surf life saving. So there's a paddleboard a kayak, a swim leg and a run leg transitions. And so mm. it's not the triathlon Ironman. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah now you turn professional in that at a very young age, like age 15, uh, super yeah. young, right? Yeah. I, I qualified, um, I think I was 14 and, and then, yeah, around the series at 15. So, um, yeah, I guess I was pretty young. I think I, think I was the youngest by quite a, quite a, a margin and uh you know i'd been looking up to guys like um trevor handy and Mm -hmm. grant kenny and and those guys for such a long period of time so to be able to qualify for the professional circuit um you know certainly was a dream and get to travel all around australia and race at some of the best beach locations in the world so (laughs) um you know we we got to do it all on tv live to air and uh and, and run the whole way through summer which was you know, it was, was quite a thing back in the day, um, I guess. Yeah. How was that even possible? Like for a 15 year old to go and qualify for something like that is, did you have to get an exemption for, for being so young or anything like that? No, it was just, uh, I guess it was just sort of the way it was back then. I think the biggest, biggest weakness for me in my first year was my ski leg. Uh, you know, because that, you know, we had, we had guys like Clint Robinson who, you know, as you know, he's a, an Olympic gold medalist for kayaking. Uh, yep. He was part of the Ironman circuit as well back then. So, you know, the, the ski component was such a, a st- strong component and a strong leg that you had to have a fair bit of strength. And um, that was always a weakness for me early on in the years. Um, mm-hmm. It became a lot lot better as the years progressed. But, um, yeah, certainly it was, uh, 
it was one of those things where, yeah, I guess I was young, but I had a knack uh, to be able to read the ocean really well. And uh, I think that as lo- with my swimming component um, was quite strong. So it sort of made up for any weaknesses anywhere else. That's interesting you say that, mate. I just uh, I just spent a week in Hawaii and uh, turned up at the North Shore and, and um, the the Billabong uh, Pro Series was going on and Kelly Slater was surfing and got to watch him and and there's some big waves out there and I thought to myself, oh, you know, I grew up in Australia, I know how to read the surf and 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 so I I went and talked to one of the lifeguards and I was like, hey, can I just go out there and and body surf? And he's like, oh, mate, I, I don't recommend it, you know. And I was like, no, no, look, I'm an Olympic swimmer. I know what I'm doing. And, and, I, and I got out there and I, I think I swam out about 20 yards. And I yeah. thought to myself, shit, I'm, I'm in real trouble. Like, I've got, I've got to get wow. back. <laughs> yeah, it, was, yeah, it right. was crazy. But, but what does it mean to actually read the surf? What does that mean? I, I guess just, you know, in the sense that how it moves as far as its energy and what mm-hmm. it's always doing, yeah. you know, you get rips and currents and, and the energy of the wave, depending on the size and how it breaks, you know, mm-hmm. there's dumpers and it barrels and it throws and then, you know, which ways it's sweeping left to the right. I actually ran through all of this this morning. I ran a clinic this morning for mm-hmm. kids from nine to 14 for two and a half hours, which was really cool because here at the moment on the Gold Coast in Queensland, it's blowing southeast at about 20, 25 knots. And uh, we've got a southeast swell at about two to three metres. And and so the sweep on the beaches here on the Gold Coast are ripping north. And yeah. so with the older kids, I got them in the water. And before I got them in the water, I just told them how everything works, you know, all the energy on top of the water. And I said, effectively, you're like a pilot at the end of the day. And so if you're a pilot and you want to get, you know, from, from the ground through the clouds uh, into clear air above it, you know, what do you got to do? You got to pick the light spots to be able to get through those clouds. Um, you don't want to pick those dark spots if you're a pilot. So it's the same concept to some degree of one component with the surf is that when you go under and you want to come back up, you know, you've got all these bubbles that are breaking, in, uh, you know, on top of you and uh, it's all exploding. And uh, it's really cool how much energy there is in there in, in a wave uh, when it breaks. Mm-hmm. And so it's just trying to pick the right spots to come up, get your breath and then go back down. And then there's a component of clear water generally on your way out is that all this turbulence on top um, moves through and wants to get to the shore as fast as possible with the wave and then it's got to disperse. And so where's it go? You know, when it runs up the beach and runs back down, where does all that energy go? And um, so it's just trying to teach him that, you know, on the bottom, it's generally the safest place to be. If, you know, all my surf races and Ironman races, if I could have jumped in the water and uh, held my breath for a few minutes and stayed under, you know, three, four, five, six waves, I would have and sat on the bottom and dumped butterfly kick all the way back out <laughs> the back. Um, you know, that would have been ideal, but unfortunately my lungs weren't that big. No one's are to be able to hold the breath for that long. So, um, you know, during a race, uh, you have this sort of buffer area on the, on the bottom of the ocean. Um, you have this clear water and then it comes to the, the, the bubbling section of a wave. And so once all that waves come in, it's run up the beach, comes back out. It generally wants to push back out the sea, depending on the current that's running and then the different sections of the bank and the gutter and so forth. Um, it usually runs back out along the bottom and, and then disperses back out to sea. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. I, I just, 
it's one of those things that I really enjoy and I, I like being able to talk to the kids about it and uh, and try and express it in a way that they understand and then generally we'll go out and uh, and we'll do a bit of a demonstration and, and today I've got them in the rip today <laughs> and uh, I ran them about a kilometre south and then we got back into the rip <clears throat> I just showed them just how fast you actually can move with the sweep and uh, and what the ocean can do so you know you need a real appreciation of of what mother can produce what mother nature can produce and uh, and a respect for it too because you know if she wants she can take it as quick as it uh, as it's there yeah man it's fascinating stuff and we see people you know get get in trouble all the time and and uh not being able to read the surf and understand the surf and thinking that it's it's safe and 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 not knowing what's going on underneath and people just getting taken away you know constantly yeah. on on Australian beaches for sure but is this yeah. something that came natural to you or did, was was there somebody specifically who taught you this stuff I think it was just time in the water um, I mean, I've always had you know peers and role models around me and I've been really lucky and like I said I've I've been surfing since I was two. My whole family's been involved with, you know, board riding since, since I was mm. here. And, uh, you know, mum loves to surf. She still surfs now. She surfed Kira Point this morning. Um, mm. She got up at 4.30 and she was down there at crack of dawn, so, which is so cool and, and inspiring to see, which is epic. And, uh, you know, my grandfather surfed, my, my pop surfed. Uh, you know, my, my uncle was world longboard champion, I think, in 81. Andrew McKinnon. Um, so we've got the whole family that, mm. that have always been involved with the ocean. I think it's uh, maybe it's genes. I don't know. I've got salt running through my blood. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where I think it's just uh, I, because I grew up with it, it's, uh, it became a natural part of my life. Uh, just a side note, my, my first daughter, the, my 22 year old, her name is Kira. I named her after Kira beach. So uh, oh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful spot. I love that spot. Yeah. Um, but mate, listen, uh, so, all right, well, well, let's talk about the surf uh, for, for a second. Um, how were you received as a young kid, as a 15 year old with all these grown men racing in, in this, uh, endurance event, a men's event? Um, how were you received early on? That's a great question, Brett. <laughs> I've never been asked that question. Um, it's a really interesting one because I, I, felt, I felt that energy when I was young that it wasn't great. And it wasn't until I got older and I saw these young kids come through. I'm like, oh, man, what a little shit. So quick. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, yeah, when, when I look back, it, it must have been that. Hey, they, they must have hated it. Yeah. And um you know, I, I traveled everywhere with mum and, and that was the cool thing is that because I was so young, I needed, a, I needed a guardian, but I was so happy to be able to have mum there with me at all my races. And so she, she pretty much kept me in line and I kind of maybe potentially changed the dynamics because, you know, Ironman racing was pretty relaxed in some, in some sense that, you know, the guys were professional, but at the same time, they... They love to drink every now and then and they, yeah. they love that balance of life, you know, yeah. and they had it. And so when I came along, it kind of changed the dynamics a little bit is that you had guys like Clint Robinson that was just down the line and he was, mm. you know, one of the best kayakers in the world. And so that kayak leg was always fast. And then the board and the swim potentially before I came in was, um, you know, it was, it was quick, but it, it certainly wasn't like 
you know, Olympic standard swimming quick once they got into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came in, I think, you know, I'm, you know, when I was a 15 year old, I think I might've been swimming. Oh, I can't remember. I think I went 356 for my 400s, 357. It's pretty good 15, for a 15 year old. Yeah. 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 Well, Hacky was well sub 15. <laughs> oh, what? 350 i think he was going 348 349s at 15 yeah, yeah. he was even faster again so um so yeah i think i think that that changed the dynamic as well because the ski leg was fast and then the swim leg became fast and because my swimming fitness i always paddled pretty quick as well on the board so yeah things started to get a little bit more serious i guess for for me when i, I started to step in and, and guys started to sharp sharpen their tools and uh feel like the, the, the dynamics of the sport started to change in some degree and it became really professional and uh, and the guys were starting to get quicker and quicker each year. So many questions with this, really. Um, in terms of the tactics, was there somebody guiding you in, in terms of where to uh, put your energy or, or how to um, address the race itself? Because obviously you're dealing with different legs. You've got the, the ski leg and you've got the board and you've got the swim and some running in there. Was there somebody guiding you through on where to put your energies? Um, yeah, well, I guess it's the way we train. You know, I, I train the way that I want to race. So, you know, what's that? Uh, at the end of the day, the transitions was always a key component. So transitions being, you know, going from one leg into a run leg into another you know, water discipline. So I always ha had a huge focus on that and, and made sure that those transitions for me were quick and I could hurt people uh, mm. in the sense that, you know, the quicker they were, people can run that pace, but how much does that take out of them? You know, when they get in the water after that transition, how gassed are they? And they generally will stall by the time they hit the water. So, you know, I always made that a key focus, but that, that, that came from coaches as well. Um, you know, I've always had great mentors and leaders in, in that area. Um, but at the same time, they had a lot of trust in me and the way that I approach my races. And I think from a pretty young age, I kind of knew what I needed to do. Um, you know, I used to watch the guys race on Sundays uh, with the Uncle Toby series and the Nutrigrain and, and watch how they raced. You know, where did I think their weaknesses lay? Um, you know, where were their strengths? And uh, I would kind of play on that and in some degree, you know, incorporate it in, into my training. So you're, you're young, you're, you're, you know, you're on a path of kind of getting some fame and, and you're part of a, a series that's um, well-watched and well-supported. You're making a little bit of money. Why go into the pool? You know, why, why, where was the attraction? Where was the draw to, to start swimming some, some pool events? Um, I always swam pool events from a really, really young age anyway. Um, it was something that I enjoyed. I, I enjoyed the, the hard work. I had a, quite a good work ethic um, and I, I liked racing in the pool. It was always an enjoyment for me. So, um, but I think what slowed me down at the end of the day was just how much surf work I was doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was always a sort of a weakness for me with the pool because the, the pool guys and, you know, you grew up in that era as well. Is that you, you, you know, whether it was your 50 swimmers right through to your 1500 meter swimmers in Australia, our men were so dominant and the yeah. women were so dominant. It was crazy through the 90s. Yeah. Um, you know, we had some of the best swimmers in the world, you know, with yourself and, you know, Chris Filer and, you know, the sprinters just absolutely 
dominated and clemmy, et cetera, et cetera. And then you look at your distance swimmers and you had Kieran that broke the world record over mm. the two and the four and the eight and the 1500. And then you had Thorpey come through and break the world record on the two, the four and the eight. And then you had Haki come through and break the world record in the two, four and eight and 15. And it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, what, <laughs> what era have I grown up in to be able to swim? So yeah. I always had it back in my head. It was like, I just, as much as I tried, I just couldn't get those guys, you know, you know, flag to flag with Haki, um, I felt like I could swim just as quick. But, you know, gosh, his turns and Thorpey's turns were just so fast and they were so dominant over that four through to the 15. It was just, I, I just couldn't couldn't match it. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've always had a desire with the pool. And, and I think for me, the desire was to make an Olympic Games. I remember in 1996, I, I lined up and uh, I think I got, seventh or eighth in the I made the final of 1500 so you know I was a young little tacker um you know we had Glenn Houseman in the final Kieran Perkins Daniel Kwiatkowski uh, Grant Hackett you know with yeah Grant told me you had a really interesting start that day oh yeah he always brings that up (laughs) he's a shocker I don't know what I did I don't even want to go back and look at it I think I did like this little kick off I don't know what I did Anyway, he always seems to bring it up every time I see him. I saw him the other day. We actually did a really good workout the other day. He's doing really well. He's fit. He does. He looks fit. Yeah, he looks great. Good for him. He's a machine, mate. Yeah, Hacky's a machine. machine. eh? You spent a lot of years with him. I mean, you've you've trained, and this is kind of going off a little bit, but, I mean, you've trained with some endurance athletes. What is it about Hacky that separates him? Oh, um. I think his work ethic and, and the way he thinks. His mentality, right? That, that and his talent. He's just, he's talented. You know, he, his underwater work was really good. His catch and, and the way that he moves to be able to, you know, hold the water and pull himself over the water just always look good. His turns were always quick. But he's hard um, to break too mentally, isn't he? He can't break. He can't break. He can't yeah, break. He can't yeah. break. He, I, I think... I remember, you know, we, gosh, I, I still remember so many amazing sessions we did together. Um, there was one week where we, it must have been a hell week. Anyway, he, he fell into a dip and it was pretty bad. He got into a real rut, um, but he ended up in hospital. He got that bad. And that was the only reason why he missed a session was he actually ended up in hospital. That was his we excuse. He was in the hospital. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was his excuse, you know, and it was just, it was rare for, you know, I, I guess at the end of the day, you got to look at your competitors around you and, and what are they doing? Are they missing sessions? You know, are they crossing their T's and dotting their I's? And yeah. it depends, you know, it comes back to how, how badly you want it. And, um, you know, Grant bled it. So he, uh, you know, he wanted it pretty bad. And that with the talent and uh, and then the, the, his mental side as well, which was always awesome. He you know, growing up with Granny was always positive and he was always that bloke that you wanted to be around and draw energy from. And um, that, that's always healthy because you watch him in the pool, you know, no matter what set we did, um, he would just grind and he would grind and grind and he'd get it done. And um, regardless on how tired we were, you know, for instance, you know, if we got 31s, we used to do 3100s heart rate on Saturday mornings religiously. And, um, he just always, you know, always hit his times that he was supposed to hit. 
um, which was just remarkable. So, um, yeah, how he did it was, was pretty impressive. But, you know, I, I still remember he, he was 15, I think, at the time, 14, maybe 15, and did the 250s on 35 seconds. And the guy was getting heaps of rest. <laughs> it was, just, <laughs> was out of control. So, you know, there, there's so many sessions that I can go back into, uh, you know, as like you, um, mm. you know, that, that we've got a vault in our head that yeah. I almost remember every single session, every split, every time, how we wow. swam it, um, you know, all the, all the good ones anyway. So, uh, you yeah. should definitely write a book sometime, mate. I'm sure people will buy it. That's for damn sure. Um, <laughs> tell me this. What was driving you then? Like, well, you know, we talk about hacking. We talk about some of your other competitors. But what was driving you at this point in time? Oh, I, I guess I had older, older guys that I looked up to when I was young. Um, you know, when I got to an age where I was sort of 17, 18, 19, I started to draw inspiration from the guys that I was racing as well as the guys that I was training with. And I, I guess I've always been lucky that I've always had an amazing coach uh, or coaches around me and, uh, and amazing athletes as well around me. And, um, and you know, the, the flip side of that is that, you know, mum had been amazing. She had been such a supporter and, and someone that was like a rock to me. Um, so, yeah, I guess that that's probably where I drew a lot of my inspiration. You know, we, we grew up with nothing. So, um, you know, I had, had nothing to lose. So it was one of those things where, you know, that, that was my driving force at the end of the day. And, and I loved doing what I, you know, do. What did, what did you want to be at that point? I mean, you're, you're doing the Ironman, you're, you're dabbling in the pool and you, you swim in 1500s. And then you're also swimming, you know, you went to the world championships, I believe in 98 and got the silver medal in, in the 5k at the yeah. world champs. So it's like, you know, where did you see yourself? What did you want to do? Did you just want to try everything and be good at everything? Or did you see yourself being a champion in something? What was it? Um, no, I, I think the diversity is good, but at the same time, you know, I, I wanted to be an Ironman. I loved the ocean. So, um, you know, the sport in the 90s was massive. You know, yeah. I was young. I wanted to be the Trevor Handy of the Ironman racing. Yeah. Um, no other footprints that I was kind of, the footsteps that I was kind of following. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd look at Trevor and go, well, where's his weaknesses, you know? His ski was a little bit weak. His transitions were a little bit sluggish. His swim leg wasn't that great, um, you know. And so I wanted to change that. And, and he was being consistent in the way that he was winning. I was like, all right, well, if I just need to improve here and here and here and tweak these things, you know, why can't I be that good? And, and that's what eventually happened. And uh, and the Uncle Toby's was, you know, was, was such a huge thing. Um, massive, you know, yeah, it was, massive. It was such a shame that it, it folded and then, you know, it, it turned into one series, not two series, you know, and, and Surf Life Saving, unfortunately, had control of, of that series and it was just not uh, not on their, their radar as far as a priority goes. You know, Surf Life Saving here in Australia is a voluntary sport and that's the way they see it and that's the way they still sort of envision it is that, you know, the, the top athletes in Surf Life Saving you know, I, I think a lot, a lot of the older folk um, in in surf sports think that the the athletes perhaps shouldn't be paid what they're paid, and um, you know, it's a voluntary sport, and they should be happy to do it for free. And and by all means, that's what I did for such a long period of my life growing up. In the, in in a sense, before I turned professional, um, you know, I used to patrol the beaches, and I'd always go down to nippers, and I loved it. It's 
It's mm-hmm. an amazing movement and the voluntary side, there's so many amazing volunteers is that they dedicate so much time and effort of, of their own to be able to, you know, make our beaches safe. And, and that's what the sport's about too. Tell me this, how did you not get caught up in the, the, the darker side of, of surf lifesaving or even, um, you know, the surf culture or, you know, I grew up in Maruba, you know, so I, I grew up yeah. around the bra boys and I, you know, I, I felt for myself in order to be successful, I had to get away. I had to move away. Um, was there ever that moment for you where it was like you could have gone down a path that may have, may have led you away from, from all of this? It, mean, it seems like to me, like you stayed on a really steady path of like, I want to be the best athlete. And you just found different avenues for that. Was there ever a, a period where you could have got pulled away from that? Um, oh, certainly growing up through school, um, all your mates drink on the weekends and, you know, they doubled in back then in the nineties, you know, a little bit of pot and, you know, everyone yeah. had, had their thing. So, yeah. you know, certainly, it, but it, it was hard because, you know, for me, you know, to go out on a Friday night, Saturday mornings was, it was such a big session for me, you know, mm-hmm. I, Growing up, I would swim my six to eight K and then, you know, that would be from five o'clock to seven o'clock on a Saturday morning. And then at nine 30, I had Ironman training for an hour and a half. And, and that was, that was my whole life. Mm. And so for me to have a late night on a Friday night would absolutely wipe my Saturday morning out. Yeah. And then I got no one else to blame, but myself. So but I think I got to a point where, you know, that's where I had really good mates around me um, that didn't do the sport or at the level that I was at is that, you know, they understood and it, it was epic. I, I was so lucky in that, that area is that I had had blokes around me that, you know, knew what, what I did and what I loved to do. And uh, they didn't drag me down. Um, you know, I think that's what, you know, true mates are at the yeah. end of the day be able to have an understanding what what you're doing and what your passion is not hey come out on friday night let's have some beers let's go get wasted and not even think about what saturday brings um and then the same thing with saturday nights it's as you gradually get a little bit older yeah look brett i'm no saint mate i've had them you know we've all had them Mm -hmm. you know we've dabbled and we've done that and and bits and pieces and and they're life lessons and um and so, you know, I remember growing up, you know, you go out on a Saturday night, like, heck, you know, I used to go out on Saturday nights and it would be classic, mate, absolutely classic. <laughs> we had awesome times. And, uh, but it, it would hurt me. And I, yeah. I don't, it wasn't the, the drinking so much. It was the, the lack of sleep, the yeah. sleep deprivation. So I'd come to Monday and I'd be kind of sluggish and feel shit ass on a Monday and it would take me until Tuesday or Wednesday. And this is a repeat. You, every yeah. weekend you do it, you, you always get the same sort of result. In Monday, yeah. you know, you start to come good on Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, when you bang yourself on the head enough times, I think you, you eventually wake up and realise it's not that good for you. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, it's fun at the time, but you've got to deal with the consequences after. Yeah. Well, when was the first breakthrough moment for you when, when you felt like you'd arrived or you felt like I'd, I'd achieved something really big? Oh, probably when I was 15, when I qualified for the Uncle, Uncle Toby series. I, I trialed the year before it and, um, 
I had led with Steve Pullen until the last leg, and the last leg was a ski leg. And I remember so clear, it was Newcastle. Newcastle has this huge shorey. And I remember sitting there holding my ski as this little grommet. And I could hear mum in the background just screaming at me, just get on, just get on. I'm sitting there looking at these shoreys and these things are sitting up and then smashing down on my nose. I'm like, nah, nah, not yet. Anyway, I went from like first to 16th and they took the top 15. So, oh, wow. um, but in saying that, it was a blessing for me because that same year, and you can probably go back into it if you Google, um, I think it was 2006, uh, sorry, 1996, hmm. Uncle Toby's Super Series Piha. Mate, I remember sitting there as a 14-year-old in front of the TV and watching these guys. They cancelled the women's race. PR, this is Piha in New Zealand. And they ran hmm. the men's. And I swear to you, mate, it, I was scared just sitting in the couch at home watching this, yeah. you know, these guys race. It was phenomenal. You know, Clado rolled his ski, 18-foot ski snapped. The 18-foot skis looked like they were, you know, toothpicks on these yeah. waves. It was yeah. just absolutely awesome. I'm like, I, I remember turning to mum going, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah. I didn't I didn't make it you know, <laughs> this year. And uh, anyway, I ended up eventually qualifying the following year anyway. Um, and I got in and, and that was my dream. And that, that was at that, that point what I was aspiring to be. And I felt like when I qualified and won the series quite comfortably um, that, you know, this, this was my time and, and, and I was ready to, you know, sort of showcase what, I, what I've been doing. What about the first time that you felt respected by the other guys? Was there, was there a win for you that, that kind of cemented you as like, you know, I, I'm the, I'm the new guy or, you know, I, I can compete with these guys or, you know, did you get some validation somewhere? Um, I think it might've been, oh, geez, I think it was pretty early. I'd like really? to think of, I don't know. You got to ask those guys, but you know, my <laughs> first uncle Toby super series race, I think I finished third. Oh, wow. Jeez. Um, yeah. You, I, I you was must young, have really pissed so. some kids off. <laughs> Yeah, I could imagine so. And um, I think I had a, a sprint up the beach with Josh Blair. It was for second or third. And um, anyway, he ended up getting me up the beach because he was just bigger and stronger and faster. And yeah. it was that simple. But um, yeah, I would imagine, mate, you know, I became mates with them pretty early yeah. on in my career. Um, you know, they, they were real mentors of mine and I'm still mates with them now, um, which awesome. is awesome. And um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's always nice when I can, uh, you know, see them and, and we catch up. Well, what about the open water? How'd you get steered in that direction? Um, for me, I think it was always the swimming. So, you know, and, and surf life saving. So my swim legs with the Ironman racing and then the individual surf races were always strong. Um, yeah. it was really rare for, for me to sort of, not, not be up the pointy end uh, at the finish line. So I think it was one of those things when in 98, um, you know, when those world championship trials came around, I was like, yeah, sweet, I'll do the 5K. You know, we had guys like, you know, the great uh, Grant Robertson who, you know, I think he won a couple of 25Ks. I think he still holds a world record for most amount of kilometres in 24 hours, which is like 119Ks or something. Mm, wow. Remarkable. And these are the guys that are you know, I used to train with as well. So I guess it was kind of the era, you know, I spent a bit of time with um, Gary Toner growing up and, mm -hmm. and that squad. So, 
it was, you know, it was always in and around me. So I, I thought I'll, I'd try a 5K um, at our nationals. I ended up winning that comfortably and, uh, and then went on to the world championships and, and, and got a silver there at the Worlds. That's, That's awesome. It's as simple as it is. <laughs> it was. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And then, Owen, what about the pool itself? Like, you, I know you were pretty serious about trying to qualify for the Australian team for the Olympic Games in the 1500 as well, especially. So when did that kind of start to take a front seat for you? Um, probably 2004, potentially. I think about six months out of the Olympic trials, I, I had a real good crack. Um, you're training with Hackey and uh, what uh, Dennis Cottrell at that point yeah 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 and um, and so yeah in 96 I finished seventh in the 1500 Olympic trials in 2000 I finished fifth in the um, the 1500 uh, Olympic trials and then 2004 well you know what an era to grow up in you know the greatest 1500 swimmers in history so 2004 you know I had Craig Stevens and Grant Hackett, you know, one and two. So, um, yeah, quite quite difficult to get, you know, when you know you, you kind of juggling swimming with with Ironman racing. You at finished that, third at, at that, that point, point, right? Sorry, you finished third in those trials. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a that's a tough spot to be. <laughs> you get the medal that you don't want. Yeah, but well, oh, that's all right, mate. Yeah. You know, I. I great mates with Steve-O and, and Hacky and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't be happier for those two boys at that point. And uh, I swam really well, I thought. Um, but, yeah, they, they definitely deserved that spot. And, uh, yeah, and then it was the same year, I think, they announced that um, open water would be in the next Olympic Games, being 2008. So I was like, you know, a light came on. And that in itself is a really interesting story too. Um, you know, going into the 2008 Olympic trials um, for us uh, and the process that had to take place for us to qualify was just, was just insane. So, you know, we had guys like Jared Nedapel, amazing swimmer, amazing 1,500-meter swimmer, great medalist swimmer um, that swam open water. Um, you know, Grant Hackett put his hand up for the 10k as well and i was just like oh mate what are you doing steve-o then put his hand up i'm like oh you gotta be kidding me i was like oh i was getting flashbacks to 2004 (laughs) um, so you want to be an olympian desperately and it's like oh here's my chance and all these other guys are having a crack at it too but it's like yeah so how did that trials go for you oh look it went good but mate at the end of the day i want the best swimmers in there yeah. You don't want an easy ride, like yeah. you know. And um, you know, I ended up at a sprint finish with Hackey, and he got me in the finish. So, so they took the top two uh, to the world championships. And so, for us to qualify for an Olympic berth, we either had to the top two at Olympic, uh, top two at the world championships um, in the top ten. Sorry, two Australians in yeah. the top ten to go to the Olympics, or it's the first oceanic swimmer. Um, mm. And yeah, I'm not sure what happened to Hackey. We we had a game plan. Um, uh, some something happened. I think he got he might have got belted at one of the the turning markers. And um, you know, Grant I think might have finished 13th or 14th and just missed out. And uh, I was lucky enough to finish fifth and qualify for my first game. So wow, um, what an awesome yeah, feeling, eh? Cool, cool little journey. Yeah, I it was it was mixed to tell you the truth. Really. You know, well, 
in my mind at that point that the greatest distance swimmer that I had ever seen witnessed and grew up with was Grant Hackett. So, you know, for me, I thought, you know, Grant was a walk-in. Like, why don't you just give him the Olympic spot instead of him having to swim this? But um, it was really hard for Australians because, you know, the Europeans, um, even the Americans, they're just, there seem to be so many more races and so many more opportunities to be able to put yourself into that situation where you've got great swimmers around you. You know, there were 85 starters at those world championships. So you got 85 of the best open water swimmers in the world and all vying for, you know, a top 10 spot or, or a medal in, in mm. some cases. So, yeah, it's uh, – anyway, looking back, it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you uh, I mean, we haven't even touched on wh- where you're at these days athletically either. I mean, you've gone in a whole nother direction as well in terms of sailing. So that, that's incredible. Um, but uh, I mean, has there been somebody guiding you through this? Have you, have you just said, oh, I'm interested in that. I'll go do it. Or has somebody said, you know, I think you should have a shot at this and we'll, we'll, we'll you know, mentor you here and push you here. Or how are you making these decisions? I'm off my own back, <laughs> I guess. Um, you know, I, I haven't had a father figure, so, um, you know, I've had to make a lot, lot of the decisions, you know, I, I guess on my own. So um, I've, I've always, like, like we spoke about early, uh, early on, is that um, I've always liked challenges and I've always been able to, you know, set a goal and, and I guess live a sort of a lifestyle um, where I can chase those goals. Um, and with the sailing stuff, um, that, you know, my grandfather taught me how to sail. And so, it, it, but it's, it's been more of a leisure thing to tell you the truth. And, um, and I'm comfortable on or in the water, regardless of the conditions. Um, and I remember doing a few race weeks and Brisbane, the Gladstone race on, on a Volvo 65, I think it was, um, and, and, and a couple of other yachts growing up. And I just had, you know, some mutual mates that were friends with people at, uh, with the USA team, Oracle Team USA, um, as it was getting closer. And I've always watched the cup and how cool it was, you know, and, and when, you know, the, the Team USA beat New Zealand in the cup before in the 34th cup, you know, they were 8-1 down and how they got back to 9-8. It was, you know, historical. It was so cool to see. And um, someone raised the question, so they were kind of moving out of specific purebred sailors to energy-producing sailors, and, mm. that, and that's what, how this all came about. So at the end of the day, mate, I was just a, a rat in the lab just turning that handle <laughs> so so do you just consider yourself like an endurance athlete and you take that endurance and apply it to different sports is that what you do i think so yeah i guess when you when you look at it like that yeah definitely um i remember you know i got introduced to a couple of guys on the oracle team and um they asked me to you know well firstly they wanted to have a look at how i you know how i sort of my technique on the pedestal and then before i knew it I had a phone call asking me if I could come to Bermuda and do like, you know, a two, like two or three week camp with them. Um, I think, I guess that must've been like a testing ground for those guys. And I was the only non-sailor, like professional non-sailor in this sailing group. Um, so yeah, effectively, you know, you need to have your wits about you on, on board. Um, 
they're some of the fastest yachts in the world. And, uh, and that's what's been so cool about the America's Cup is that, you know, when you, you're foiling at almost, you know, 60 miles an hour, it's a pretty cool feeling at the end of the day. And, um, you know, with the Cup compared to where we're at now with Sail GP, the Cup, you know, basically I was producing oil on board and, uh, and managing our oil uh, so all the different functionalities um, from the skipper right through to me, we could draw on that oil um, during different manoeuvres and during, you know, our, our top speeds. If we ran out of oil on board, basically it, it, it can be quite, it could be quite dangerous. And, and when you look back at the, the America's Cup before, a lot of those crashes were due to people running out of oil. And um, when you do that, you've got no functionalities. It's like, you know, your car, you know, you're doing 100 k's an hour on the highway, mm. uh, 60 miles an hour on the highway, and your car shuts down and you can't use your brakes. So, you know, it can become quite dangerous. And so that, that was sort of my responsibility at the end of the day with that cup. Mate, it's pretty fascinating to, to go from Ironman to pool to open water to sailing. Has there been people in your life to tell you that you can't do things or are you just open to the prospect of like, I can kind of put my mind to anything and get it done. I'm open to the prospect of putting my mind to anything and getting it done. Absolutely. But it has been testing me lately. Um, I'd love to be able to do a triathlon and Ironman. Um, But my running has been one thing I just can't seem to nail on the head and that's been testing me. And, uh, but, um, you know, this year's been a funky old year and, and all our sailing got cancelled. So I did. Um, which has been been a real bummer. But um, it's just been re-announced again with SARGP and it's starting at the end of April. So it's coming up real quick. So I'm sort of in the first phase of, of training now for that. So the dynamics of my training's tra- changed again. But, yeah, look, you know, there's certainly – there's always people out there, Brett, that tell you, oh, I don't think you'll be able to do that. It's not the right body shape. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, yeah. you're, you're too big or, you know, yeah. you're too small or you're not built right here. And, and I, and I get that, like, you know, if I was to do an Ironman, I, I get that I'm too big. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly nothing like a Brownlee uh, or any mm-hmm. of those triathlete boys, but that's not the level that I, you know, want to get at as far as the triathlon goes, that's for me personally. And that's for me to just want to get through at my pace. Um, you know, I'm not there to, to, to win Kona, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it'd be an amazing achievement just to qualify for Kona for me. So, but as far as the sailing goes, you know, I, I produce energy on that yacht. And so I'm there with Kyle, I back Kyle up our wing trimmer and I'm trimming the wing and I'm flying the boat. And so when we crash the dynamics of Sail GP now, a lot of that's due to me and, uh, and me, me missing a catch on the wing. Um, and that's just pure pressure on the wings. So all my grinding on the pedestal, when you see, I'm always trimming the wing and Kyle is always there um, reading the conditions on the wing and depending on whether we're going upwind or downwind and, and what manoeuvre we're about to enter. So, um, mate, I, at the moment for me, it, it's all about sailing. I've absolutely loved it. And, uh, you know, well, I was in Sydney recently preparing for the Hobart, the Sydney and the Hobart race on, on an amazing yacht. Um, it was a Volvo 70 through the old Maserati, which was called Willow. Um, but unfortunately, because of this whole COVID thing, about five days out, it got cancelled. So, 
um, yeah, like I said before, it's it's been a funny year, but um, I feel like I'm pretty fit. I, I did a we did a really good session the other day. We had um, one of the boys from um, down in Melbourne plays for the Cats um, AFL, fit as a fiddle, and uh, and Hacky and myself, and um, we absolutely um, you know we, we gave it a red hot dig in, in the gym and, and on the rower and that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I still feel really good. Uh, you know, I'm 39, but um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's how you listen to your body, um, how you treat it. Um, you know, recovery is a big thing, what you eat uh, and then how, how you train. And I, I don't think, you know, it, it's, it's a funny one because, you know, you, you see so many people, you might disagree with this, but it's not so much, you know, overtraining, you know, people talk about people overtraining. I, I don't think that's the case. I think the biggest thing is how you recover. Yeah, sure. You know, how do you recover between your training sessions to make mm-hmm. the next session as good as it can be? And, uh, exactly. and then the consistency on top of that. And I think, yeah. um, you know, along with your, you know, part of that is your sleep and your preparation and your food and your hydration and, and just making sure that you, you know, you're treating your body like, um, you know, if you had a Ferrari, you're not going to go and put shitty unleaded in it, are you? You know, yeah. you're going to put premium fuel in it. And there's, you know, otherwise you're going to hear it. The motor's going to sound different. It's not going to perform the way that it should perform, you know, perfectly. Um, yeah. And I can't see why the body is any different. Well, that's ultimately why people cheat. I mean, it's why people take performance enhancing drugs. It's not for the output that they're going to get while they're on the drug doing the activity. It's for the recovery aspect of it primarily. So like if you're, if you're, if you're not, if you don't have that cheater's mindset, but you want to make gains and you want to improve, then you've got to look at your nutrition. You've got to look at your sleep. You've got to look at your active recovery. I mean, these, these are components that I think have, have, have really, um, taken a spotlight in the last 10 yep. to 15 years in terms of athletics, especially, you know, Absolutely. surf lifesaving, sailing, that those, you know, open water. I mean, you, you've got to be able to back up what you did on Monday to Tuesday to, to Wednesday yep. to Thursday and then look back at the week and say, I put in a great week of work. And the only way you're going to do that is through your active recovery, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's right. You know, at the end of the day, that's what we're competing against too. These guys that cheat. So yeah, yeah. how to do that? You know, we can't go out and go drinking all weekend thinking yeah. that we're going to be the best in the world because, exactly. you know, the average blow Joe is over there sleeping and doing what he's doing and taking what he's taking, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, there's, there's people like that. But, you know. It doesn't seem like you to me. Around, uh, yeah, exactly. But it doesn't seem to me like you're the type of guy that's really got caught up in people telling you you're talented at something either. Like you don't, you don't seem to get caught up in your talent, really. It's it's more about the hard work, right? I absolutely agree, mate. Like like I said before, I, you know, I grew up with nothing, so for me, you know, everything's a gift, you know, and I'm I'm appreciative of everything, and I, I get that I've been lucky through my career that. You know, maybe I've had really good genes and there's been a bit of talent there, but, you know, I've, I've worked bloody hard to, mm. to get it. You know, you know, hard work doesn't get you those results all the time. Well, it does, but, you know, talent and hard work is dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, you can have one or the either, but I've seen guys that, I don't know what's that saying, you can have all the talent in the world, but if mm. you haven't got that work ethic, yeah. you give it to someone else. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, you're not 
you're not going to get anywhere with it. Um, but you see that in people, you know, I've seen that through the years is that you look at some folks and, and women and you're just like, oh, you've got more talent than anyone I've ever come across. Yeah. But unfortunately, you just, you're missing, you're missing it up here. And mm. um, yeah, it's sad to see, but um, you know, that, that, that's what separates the top guys, I think, to the rest of them, for sure. When, when do you think you're going to, um, or, or do you think you're going to hang up the athletic side of your, your life? I mean, uh, I mean, you're obviously still into the sailing. You're 39 years old. Is this something, I mean, uh, Tom Brady in, in America is competing at the highest level in, in NFL, you know, at the age of 43, you know, he's making the playoffs and doing things that, you know, people here at the age have never done. Is that kind of where you see yourself is like, you know, creating, setting new boundaries for, for older athletes to succeed at a high level? Yeah, mate, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm here to educate and, and to inspire the younger generation. And you look at guys like Kelly Slater, you know, he's mm-hmm. been a role model of mine since I was a wee nipper. So, mm-hmm. um, mate, he's 48. Yeah. I don't, don't want to get that wrong, but yeah. he's top five in the world. <laughs> like, yeah, come on. I know, it's incredible. And then, you know, like you said, Tom Brady, it's freak, you know, it's freakish. There's guys yeah. out there that are absolutely killing it. Yeah. Um, another one, Cameron Brown from New Zealand, who I follow. Uh, you need to look him up. He's a triathlete. You know, the guy's an absolute freak. He rode seven and a half hours the other day, got off the bike, ran 10K, and he held 315 pace, <laughs> which is, mate, like, That's come nice. on. I can't, yeah. I can't even run a 315 if I was just to do 1K <laughs> off the bat yeah. without riding seven and a half hours. And, uh, so yeah, it my age is a number, and it's like we spoke about before. It's how, how do we how do we keep going? And look, I'd love to, but Brett. It, on the flip side of that is that if I've got no talent, everything runs out. I've got no more sailing. I can't swim. Something happens. I always want to stay fit and active. I've got kids, and uh, I want to you know I want to stay fit and active for them. You know, my young boy swims. And he loves to surf. I take him down in the mornings. We go surf the alley. You know, he's eight years old and he absolutely loves it. You know, my, my daughter's three and she caught her first wave a day ago oh, on a awesome. bodyboard. And she just absolutely just went off her head bananas. And, uh, you know, she, she just has this, uh, I, I guess, attraction to the water, which is epic. And I want to be a part of that, you know, growing up. I want to be able to feel it and teach them and, and show, show them, that, you know, the importance of swimming for one mm-hmm. um, and survival in, in water. I think it's, yeah. I think every kid in the world should know how to swim. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an important part because we've got rivers, lakes, you know, oceans, backyard yeah. pools. Mm-hmm. I don't care what level my kids get to as far as swimming goes. All I want them to be able to do is feel confident in the water. And for me, that gives me confidence at the end of the day that I got trust in my children as well, swimming. Yeah. Well, mate, I think you should write a book next. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd be uh, an advocate for it. I'd buy it. You know, the fascinating life story you've done yeah, amazingly well. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan from a, a long distance. I haven't had much contact with you recently, but uh, I can tell you I'm a fan of yours. So uh, keep it up, mate. Thanks, Inspiring, mate. Um, thanks for being on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's awesome catching up. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Kai. Take care, mate. Hey? Thank you. Cheers, All Brett. Right. See you, mate. Bye. Yeah, but-